Good to see you this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in our series called Fully Equipped this morning. And uh, let me start out by asking you a question. Anybody know somebody who has a strong opinion of something? Anybody know it? Maybe you are the strong opinion person, yeah? Or maybe you're poking someone beside you who's the strong opinions person. It's all kinds of things that sometimes people have strong opinions about in our world, right? Maybe you've got a strong opinion about a hobby. Maybe you've got an opinion about a, where the best place is to eat after church on a Sunday. Or color patterns or fashion or maybe you've got an opinion on which is the best Star Wars movie. Uh, you think, you know, where the one that just came out is the best or it's the worst or maybe you don't have an opinion at all. Uh, but there are things that some of us have opinions about. Uh, and then there are things that all of us have an opinion about. And sometimes a strong opinion and sometimes not. But some things some of us have opinions about. Maybe you don't care who wins one of the football games this afternoon. Or maybe that's really important to you. But then there are some things in our lives that almost everyone has an opinion about. Uh, if you want an example of that, just walk into any large gathering of people these days and say something like, so, President Trump, your thoughts? And see if there's any opinions that come up. One way or the other, opinions will come up, right? The Bible... I think is one of those things that almost everybody has an opinion about. Uh, almost everybody has an opinion about the Bible. Even if, it, even if you just say to someone, what do you think of the Bible? Uh, they're probably going to give you some kind of opinion about that. Now some people have some really strong opinions about the Bible. Um, there's a new museum that opened up that you might have heard about. Just opened up this past November uh, for the first time ever. It's the newest and one of the most technologically advanced museums in the country. Uh, you can see a picture of it there. The Museum of the Bible is on 4th Street in Washington, D.C. It's 430,000 square feet and costs nearly half a billion dollars to build. It's outfitted with the latest and greatest technology, uh, technology that took 100 technologists developing various platforms simultaneously to come up with all the content to do the work. Uh, it's um, one of the largest, uh, I think it's the largest museum to the Bible in all the world, uh, and it's there in Washington, D.C. It's free. Uh, like all the other, many of the other museums in Washington, uh, suggested donation. And all this space, time, and money, the interesting thing to me, is dedicated to one book. Someone has a pretty big passion, or a group of someones have a pretty big passion and some pretty strong opinions about this. You don't, about one book. You don't spend $500 million if you don't feel strongly about something. People have some strong opinions about it. But people have strong opinions the other way, too, about the Bible. Uh, multiple places you can look for examples of that. But perhaps um, one of the starkest uh, would be November 9th, 1938. Uh, maybe that date is some familiarity to you if you know some 
history of World War II or Jewish history, November 9th, 1938, uh, known as the Night of Broken Glass or Kristallnacht. And on this night in Germany and Austria, uh, Nazi forces smashed windows and set fire to some 1,400 synagogues all across Germany and Austria and destroyed thousands of Torah scrolls. So the Torah, um, if you're not familiar with it, we would call them, we would refer to the uh, first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is the, is the Jewish Torah, first five books of, of the Bible. And so um, destroyed thousands of Torah scrolls. Many of the acts demolishing the scrolls were deliberately made a public spectacle. In one small town, the scrolls were sent rolling down the street uh, while young men on bicycles, Hitler youth, rolled over them on their bicycles. In Berlin, the scrolls were burned in a major public square. And as Torah scrolls burned in synagogues in uh, Dusseldorf, German men, some wearing robes uh, of the rabbis and cantors, danced around the fire. And it became known as Kristallnacht, or the night of broken glass, uh, when they broke the glass of lots of these shops and homes and synagogues uh, to perform these acts. The passionate hatred was intense and pervasive uh, uh, as well. And so you have a strong opinion on the other side about the Bible, about the scriptures, about this holy book. Uh, the Nazis at that time had a strong opinion that we need to get rid of this book, that this book is dangerous in some way. That's not the first time or nearly the only time in history that this has been thought of. In fact, governments around the world today still hold some of these views. We have global outreach partners serving around the world today whose very lives are in jeopardy simply because they have copies of the Bible with them. There's one in particular I'm aware of uh, uh, that has, uh, he has 10,000 copies of God's word in a country that um, is not open to that and he is uh, praying and hiding and, and, and smuggling in the re most real uh, aspect of that term, these scriptures into this country and then being able to get God's word out because there's a government and there's governments that feel um, that people should not have access to the Bible. A lot of people have strong opinions about the Bible. Some in a sense where they cherish it and build multi-million dollar museums. Others where there's fear or hatred where they want to destroy it. Most of us though I think have and most people inside or outside this, uh, this room have an opinion about the Bible. Sometimes it's an opinion. Sometimes people you know will have an opinion that it's a dangerous book. It's out of date. It's not relevant. It's not helpful. It's an ancient book like any other ancient book. Some will say it's misogynistic. It's oppressive. It's violent. It's not helpful and even dangerous to people. There are others who will say, no, no, no. This is a holy book. This is the word of God. This is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. The scriptures themselves have things to say about what the Bible is. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 23, some of the writers who are writing uh, scripture have words to say about uh, what it is. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were witnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they carried along, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture itself, the, the writers that are recorded in Scripture themselves call it God's word. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, there's another passage that talks about these words of the Bible. And it says, and we also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you as believers. So these strong opinions about what is the Bible. Some people feel it's a book that's to be cherished and build museums. Some people feel it's a dangerous book. The writers of scripture would tell us that it's the very words of God. What is the Bible? The one thing I want to say this morning is no matter what your opinion is of the Bible, I think often many people make a mistake when they form their opinion of the Bible. I think many people, there's a mistake that whether you think it is the inerrant, infallible word of God or whether you think it's a dangerous book or whether you think it's an irrelevant book, I think many people make a mistake when they're forming their opinion about the Bible. I want to talk with you a minute about what I think that mistake is, about how we can correct it, and then just give you some practical tips before you go uh, on the Bible coming up and the work that you are called to do in this new year. But the mistake, what's the mistake that many people make when it comes to the Bible? It has to do with what we talked about last week and that's contracting work out. We talked about last week the fact that there is much work in our life that we contract out to other people. You can do it through an app, you can do it through a phone call, you can do it through an email, but we contract out all kinds of things in our world. We contract out our dog walking, we contract out our uh, putting together furniture, we contract out our snow removal, maybe you're smart enough or well, you know, lucky enough to do that. We contract out all kinds of things and that's okay, but we should not contract out our most important work and our most important work is spiritual growth or growth in our own lives. You can't contract out personal growth. You can't contract out working out, uh, getting in shape. You can't pay someone else to get yourself in shape, uh, get them in shape, and then you're in shape. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way in our spiritual lives either. But here's the mistake I think people make. And it happens with people who revere the Bible and it happens with people who even hate the Bible. And the mistake is this, that we contract it out and we take someone else's opinion about what the Bible is. That we often will take the experts, quote unquote, experts' opinion about what the Bible is. We don't, and the mistake we make is we don't necessarily take the time ourselves 
to figure out what the Bible is. We just take someone else's word for it. We do that, I think, because we do this all kinds of places in our world. We have, there is such an information overload in our world and so much information that's thrown at us that there's no way we could possibly keep up with that you have to come up with a system to process it and to handle it. And so what we do is we relegate certain things to places that we recognize we're just not going to consume, take in, and be able to process that information. And so we come up with grids and ways to do it. You know, you come up with quick ways so you scroll through your Twitter feed or your news feed and you, you know you come up with maybe bullet point stories and you process information that way or you just relegate information to something that someone else will understand and you'll just take their word for it. So there's been a lot of talk these days about the new tax bill that's coming out or come out and this new tax bill and, and everyone's got an opinion and the pundits have an opinion on the right and on the left and the news has an opinion and everyone, well, this is going to be good for the rich and it's going to be bad for the rich. It's going to be good for the poor. It's going to be bad for the poor. It's going to affect you this way, affect me that way. It's gonna, it won't affect you at all. It will affect you. Everyone's got an opinion, but here's my guess about all those opinions. None of these people have probably read the tax bill. And I don't, I'm not going to read the tax bill. I don't, honestly don't expect them to. Because I'm sure it's huge. I would expect our lawmakers too, but that doesn't always happen. Um, but it's, but that's, that's what we do sometimes with this stack of information. I remember a few years ago when the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare came out. And I heard one of, a, a statement come out of a lawmaker's mouth that I never thought I would hear come out of a lawmaker's mouth. They said, well, we have to pass it and then we can find out what's in it. And I, I thought, wow, this is the world that we... But this is, this is the idea, right? The, the idea that there's so much information that we don't possibly... No one's going to read this. And here's what I'm afraid of. What I'm afraid is we put in our world of information overload and all this information that we put the Bible in the same category. It's a really big book. It's somewhat complicated. There's a whole time, you know, it was written thousands of years ago. There's a lot I don't understand about it. And so I'm going to put it in this category that I put tax bills and legislation and, and maybe some heady academic topics. And I'm going to put it in that category. And I'm just going to trust, you know, someone I trust to give me their opinion. And that'll be my opinion of it. And I think many times we make this mistake of just trusting someone else of what this is about. And so we relegate it to the quote-unquote experts. Uh, so a student goes to college and uh, they, you know, they go to, off to college and university and their professor has maybe an opinion about the Bible. And the professor may say, well, no, the Bible's an ancient book written by humans that doesn't have any meaning bearing. It's irrelevant. It's, it's misogynistic. It's, it's, it's totally... Uh, against uh, modern culture and, and you know you don't and so your students sitting there and you say well you know I'm sitting here you're standing there I'm taking notes you're lecturing you've got the degree I'm trying to get a degree you must know what you're talking about I'll check off put that in that box okay got their opinion that's what the Bible is and move on because we've relegated sometimes to this place where we just take someone else's opinion on it I was listening to a news, broad, uh, news broadcast the other day. It was a Christian news podcast. And uh, the uh, Christian leader that was on the podcast said they had recently been interviewed 
uh, by someone on a controversial topic in our culture. And it's not that I'm being ambiguous. I honestly can't remember what the topic was um, that they were talking about. But he was being interviewed about a controversial topic in the culture. And they wanted to know what a Christian thought about it. And so this Christian leader um, said, well, you know, the reason Christians feel this way is because that in the book of Ephesians it says, and they were going on, and the reporter interrupted and said, wait, 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 wait a second. What was the title of that book and who's the author of it? And it was the book of Ephesians. That's, of course, in the Bible. But this person, this reporter, this uh, young woman had no idea that the book of Ephesians was in the Bible. I don't think that's rare. I'm not saying that because it's rare or even because it's funny. I'm saying that because of this. Because if you ask this same reporter, do you have an opinion of the Bible? I'm guessing she probably would have said, yes, I've got an opinion of the Bible and being able to give it without even knowing that the book of Ephesians is a part of the Bible. I say that just to say the fact that I think many of us will form an opinion, and many people you know and I know will form an opinion about the Bible and make this mistake of just taking someone else's word for it. Just taking someone else's word for what it is. And so what I want, I think that's a mistake because you need to get into what the Bible is. And people you know should do the work of getting in to what the Bible is. So I don't want you to come here on a Sunday morning and say, well, if that's what Pastor Rick says the Bible is, that's fine, check that off, and, uh, and we'll move on. Because, you know, I like him, he's okay, I trust him, and, uh, and he's probably right. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. My challenge for you in 2018 is to make sure that you are getting into the Bible yourself and that you understand and form your opinion about it. Uh, it's important work that we are supposed to be doing in order to get into it ourselves. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about this important work. It says, we have much to say about this. But it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths about God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by, say these two words with me, constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The idea of knowing the scriptures and understanding them happens by those two words, by constant use, by you and I constantly being in the Bible ourselves and learning from it. And it tells us that we're able to do that important work of distinguishing good from evil. That this book isn't something for the academic. It isn't something only for pastors. It isn't something for clergy. It isn't something just for ministry leaders. This book is for you. In fact, throughout history, uh, men and women have died uh, not only for this book, but for the ability for this book to be in the hands of everybody. Because believe it or not, there were times where people in the church even thought, well, the clergy should be the ones to handle this book. And there were others that said, no, 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 no. This book does not belong to an exclusive group of people. This is God's word to people. 
And for you and I to have three or four or five copies that accumulate dust on a shelf or one that we can easily access through the touch of a finger on a phone or a compute click of a mouse on a computer screen would be unheard of to those people who may have given their lives just so that everyone could have access to it. Um, we ought to take the approach of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas um, were coming away from Thessalonica and they were coming, uh, they had been persecuted in the city of Thessalonica and they came to Berea. And it says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away at night to Berea and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They rejected the word with all, they received that <laughs> Don't be like the Bereans if they rejected it. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Examining the scriptures daily. That you and I would have that same heart and mind uh, with Berea, that we, these Bereans, that we would examine the scriptures and the word of God with diligence and daily, that we have this opportunity and this privilege to be able to do that. The Bible is uh, a book, but it's more than a book. And until I think people get into it for themselves, you may not see it as that. But we don't want to make the mistake of letting someone else's opinion automatically become our opinion of the Bible. For one thing, that person's opinion may change. There was a recent book that came out within the last year called What is the Bible? It's put out uh, by an author named Rob Bell. And Rob Bell, 10 years ago, uh, was pastoring a large Christian church in Michigan, the Grand Rapids area of Michigan. He was by all intents, a, a, a successful, whatever that means, pastor and, and, and faithful to the text and the, and the orthodox Christian beliefs. And then after a number of years, kind of he walked away from the church, walked away from those core beliefs, and now recently put out a book called What is the Bible? that diverges significantly from the traditional Christian view of what the Holy Scriptures are. And so if someone were to say, believe Rob Bell, well, which Rob Bell do you believe? Do you believe the one that 10 years ago held the Bible as the written authoritative word of God? Or do you believe the one that just put out a book recently that says something different? Well, I would say neither. Don't believe either. Take the time to get into it yourself and answer that question. It is a good question. What is the Bible? Because I think when you answer, when you get into that question, you find out that the Bible is much more than we thought it was. Some people think of the Bible and they think, well, it's just chicken soup for the soul. Just go and pick a nice comforting verse when I need it to lift me up and to pick me up and I'll put them on my coffee cup and hang them in my, you know, needle, you know, needle point them in my house and, 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 that's, and that's all it is. And the Bible has some great encouraging verses, but it's not primarily an advice book. The Bible has some great history to it. I think this is one of the most surprising things to someone who has never read the Bible. 
And they think, well, if I pick up this book, it's going to contain fairy tales and names of people and places that no one has ever heard of and myths and all kinds of things. And yet you pick it up and if you would read it, you'll find that you'll find cities in here that are in your history books that you study in ancient civilization. You'll find kings and governments and things that are going on in history that you would find in your history book as well. That it's not set in fairy tales, it's not made up myths, that it's set actually in history, but it's more than a history book. You'll find legal things in here, but it's more than a law book. In fact, much of our laws and legal systems in this country are based on a lot of the things that are in the Bible. But it's not primarily a legal textbook. There were all kinds of legal principles that were given. Uh, Probably one of the most famous ones that we know of that comes from the Bible is an eye for an eye. And people hear that and they think, well, that's violent. That's, 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 uh, that, that's vengeful. And actually, when you understand the context of that principle and the, the givenness of it, it was actually a very limiting principle. Because if you think of a lawless society, you know, and someone, you know, say, steals your sheep, and you say, well, you stole my sheep. Now I'm going to go kill someone in your family. And the principle of an eye for an eye was a limiting principle. It was to say, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That's not right. You can't do that. There's a certain right uh, penalty or legal penalty that would have to be involved here that needs to be balanced. Uh, you can't just take revenge on people. So yes, legal principles are in here, but it's not primarily a legal textbook. And people think, well, it's a religious book. Or a spiritual book and it just contains things about maybe how to pray and and how to be religious and how to be spiritual. And I would say it's not a religious book because it doesn't tell you really how to get to God. It tells you how God gets to you, which is very different from many religious books. And it's not a spiritual book in that it just only contains these things about spiritual, ambiguous, ethereal things that many people think it does. It contains very practical aspects about work and life and marriage and sex and eating and drinking and all those things that are part of our daily lives you'll find in the Bible. But it's not primarily a book on practical living. So what is the Bible? John, uh, the disciple John in John chapter 20, I think probably puts it best when he says it this way. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Primarily, the Bible is a book that shows us and tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us what God has done because of who we are. And it tells us how to live our lives in light of what he has done. Primarily, the Bible is a book that reveals God to us. It's God's word to us to show us the way to God, how to live our lives in light of that, but ultimately how to believe in Jesus Christ, revealing him as the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The gospels are revealing him and his life. 
in telling us and teaching us how to live. But don't take my word for it. Please don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Get into it and allow it to speak to you. And that's what I want to kind of wrap up with today. Maybe some practical pointers on how to do that. And I do this every year on one of these Sundays in January um, because I think it's important. And it's a little different kind of message because I want to give you some very practical ways to get into the Bible this year because I do think it is some of the most important work you will do this year. Last week we said, we looked at the passage in Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and uh, we saw the, the importance of growing in Christ. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. How do you keep yourself being blown by the latest wind of doctrine that may come? How do you keep yourself from being pulled away by deceitful schemes? You got a constant use of the Bible, knowing it, getting into it as God's word. So this is important work that I think we should all be doing this year. And so let me just take the last few minutes together to kind of give you some tools and resources on that. Uh, the ushers are going to hand out a Bible reading plan for you. Um, I try and give you one each year. And so those are going to, you can hand those out now, guys. Um, those are coming down your rows now. So I try and give you each year a Bible reading plan to at least have some place to start. Um, and this year, I'm giving you one called the 5 by 5 by 5 reading plan. I've given it out probably a number of years ago. Um, so a Bible reading plan is one of the best places to start, uh, just to have at least a starting point. Doesn't, doesn't become law. It's just a good uh, template maybe to start with. Um, how long do you think it would take to read through the Bible? not a rhetorical question. I'm soliciting feedback. It depends. Oh, okay. It definitely depends on how fast you go. Give me an average. 60 hours. Any other guesses? Three months. Reading every minute of the day? No? Okay. Just three months taking a certain. How many hours a day in three months? About an hour a day. Okay. So about uh, 90 hours. So right in between those two, about 70 hours. It takes about 70 hours. It, depending on how fast you read, about 70 hours to read. If you, if you were to sit down now and not get up until you, you know, sit down now with Genesis 1-1 and not get up until you finished Revelation, it'd probably be about 70 hours um, for you to do that. Which sounds like a lot of time. Until I tell you that the average 35 to 49 year old watches 33 hours of TV per week. Uh, now, not you, but the average person. And I know you're not average, so um, that's not, I know that doesn't include you, but the average person does. Uh, and, so, and I also know that reading the Bible is not the same as watching TV. I know that. I understand you can sit down and veg out in front of the TV, and that's a lot different than sitting down with a book that was written 2,000 years ago and taking the academic uh, and intellectual prowess to sit and read and understand. I understand they're different. So, but even if you took a half of that time or a third of that time, or a quarter of that time, 
you'd still be done with the Bible in a couple months um, if you were to do that. There's someone I know who I talked to this week who has committed to reading through the entire Bible in the month of January. So if you want a goal to shoot for, maybe, maybe that's one. Um, there's someone else in this church who I know their goal is to read through the Bible twice every year. And they do that just about every year. Um, uh, many others that'll commit to reading through, you know, the entire Bible in a year. And many others that'll start and not finish. Uh, and that's okay. It's, it's not about guilt. This isn't about being guilty about not getting this or maybe you've tried it in the past. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is get into it in 2018. Even if you started every year for the last 10 years and not gotten past Valentine's Day, which is the most common date for people to quit. Most people don't make it past Valentine's Day. That's okay. Even if you've tried, just start again. So what I've given you here is a very easy plan. This is only a New Testament plan. So it's only one chapter a day. That's easy for many of you. But I'm just giving you a starting point. And so maybe you'll do one chapter a day. And if that's too easy for you, then do one chapter and then spend some time meditating and studying it and thinking about it and memorizing scripture. If it's too easy for you, then do this whole plan in one month or two months. You know, so it's just a starting point. And, uh, and so last year I gave you the Bible project and encouraged you to read through the whole Bible. I, I still recommend the Bible project to you. If you don't have the Bible project on your phone, uh, I would recommend you uh, even now take out your phone and download the Read Scripture app. Uh, you got no memory, uh, you know, lose Candy Crush and put Read Scripture on there. Um, but uh, this app is one of the best apps. I, it, it definitely has a Bible reading plan. But then at the beginning of each book and throughout each book, there are little short videos that give you a synopsis of the context, what's going on. It has the best eight-minute synopsis of Leviticus that I have ever heard. Uh, if Leviticus is a confusing book for you. Um, but the Read Scripture app, the Bible Project, they produce these short little videos that give you a... Um, synopsis of each book of where it's going of what it is and I encourage you to, to put that download that and you can do a Bible plan through that uh, if you don't have the Bible on your phone the Holy Bible the YouVersion app I encourage that one these all have plans so when I started giving out plans 10 years ago I would um you know, written plans were really the only option. Now there are so many. You can go and download whatever you want and it'll track it however you want. You can create however plan you want. Just get into it. Just set yourself a plan. Don't take someone else's opinion. Don't take someone else's word for it. Get into it yourself. These two resources, so some people say, well, you know, how do you get some of these understandings? I come across hard passages and I don't know what to do with them and I get stuck. Uh, two pieces of advice for that. One, keep going. Don't let that stop you. Just keep reading. Uh, my usual uh, response to that is, if we could just do the things in Scripture we do understand, we'd be doing really well. Um, regardless of the things we don't understand, okay? And also, though, what happens, and this is what I've seen happen in my life, as you grow and as you come back to a passage you may have read five years ago, I think you'll find yourself understanding things and seeing things that five years before maybe you didn't understand and see. And so I encourage you, just keep reading, go through it. But if you want to do a little more in depth, say, look, there's a hard passage. I can't get past this. I gotta know what this means. If I only had two books beside the Bible to keep with me, these are the two I'd have. Um, you know, there's thousands and tens of thousands of books out there. 
But if I only had two to keep beside me while I'm studying, I'd keep the new Bible commentary and hard sayings of the Bible. Um, and uh, keep those beside you. And you come across a passage you don't understand, uh, almost assuredly, um, you'll be able to flip to one of these books. Uh, I keep hard sayings of the Bible um, beside my son's nightstand um, because usually it's like right at bedtime that these hard questions come up and I'm like, huh, I don't have a right off the cuff answer for that. Let's look in hard sayings of the Bible. Um, and that's, so that's one of the resources that, uh, that I use as well. So there's a couple of study resources that I uh, recommend for you, but don't get hung up uh, again on things that you may or may not understand. I, you know, certainly you can go back and think about those things and, uh, and do further study, but I encourage you to keep going and to keep studying. There's so many resources online that can help you in that too, but just, just get into it. Just read it for yourself. Do it in community if that's helpful. Maybe you've had a hard time keeping up. Find a friend. Hey, let's read the book of uh, John together this month. And, uh, and, and we'll read it and, you know, we'll check in text message. You read it today? Yep. Do you read it today? Yep. Would you get anything out of it? You know, and, and maybe share a verse or something with someone. Help keep you accountable that way. Um, but I encourage you this year, do that hard work. Don't contract it out to someone else. Don't leave the work to someone else. Do it yourself. And don't take my word for it or someone else's opinion but get into the Bible yourself. I think too often we put this Bible in a box. And the truth is that even when it's a 430,000 square foot, half a billion dollar box, it's still a box. And it, doesn't, it wasn't meant to be put in a box, it was meant to be put into our lives and to be lived out and to change lives. So I'm going to ask our music ministry to return again. It's a little bit of a different message uh, on this day. Um, but the reason is because on 51 other Sundays of the year, this is what happens. I come up here and I open up this book and we look at a message out of this book and I assume that you are coming and listening and hearing as if these are, I'm speaking, I guess I shouldn't make that assumption about you. The assumption about me is I am speaking as if these are God's words. And so I want you to, for yourself, come to them and read them and understand what God is saying to you. Because on 51 other Sundays of the year, I'm just gonna come and speak a message out of this book, and I am speaking as if these are the words of God to us and to our lives. And so... I want you to be able to get into it yourself and understand that it's not God's word to the pastor. It's not God's word to the clergy. This is God's word given as a gift to you. It's only been the past 100, 200, what, 300 years at the most? I don't even know, probably not, that someone has been able to personally say they own as much as someone can own, at least a copy of God's word. Like that was unheard of. I mean, they were, the clergy had them or a community had them. You know, you'd have to go look at them. But you not only have them in your home, you can have it on your phone. You can carry it with you. You have access to it anywhere. And I just think that too much is given, much is required. 
And so people 500 years ago and people in other parts of the world don't have the access to God's word that you and I do. So I wonder what our responsibility is to understand it and know it and not to contract it out to someone else to do that work. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for sharing your word with us. Lord, forgive us for treating it as less than the value that it actually is. Forgive us, Lord, when we give more of our time and attention and resources to lesser things. And then we wonder why we don't have wisdom or understanding in certain situations when you have already given your word to us. So, Lord, help us this year as men and women. Lord, help us this year to more understand your word. And I pray for that man or that woman that's here that is thinking, yeah, I've heard this before. I've tried it before and it just hasn't worked for me. I pray, Lord, when that person, they open and they go to your word this year, Lord, would you make it come alive to them? Would you, Lord, open their eyes and their heart and would you speak to them clearly? Would you reveal and show how much you love and care for them? Lord, lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.